So some of you um, may remember that when Pastor Randall was on vacation uh, last time in the month of October, last October, we took some time in Leviticus to take a look at some of the offerings that are mentioned there in Leviticus um, and to meditate on the connection and the foreshadowing that went on there, it goes on there, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Maybe you were sleeping, I don't know, but that did happen. So I got an awful lot of got an awful lot out of studying those passages myself, and kind of selfishly, I, I like to keep looking back at that to learn more. And so today, that's why we're in Leviticus 13 and 14. I think I mentioned last time that a very helpful book on this, if you're interested in this subject, is Offerings Made Like Unto the Son of God. I think I mentioned last time that that book is kind of rare, but I did find out that you can get it for free. Uh, on Google Books. So if you look that up, Offerings Made Like Unto the Son of God, you can get it that way. You can't have my copy. Uh, so um, I've been going back to this theme of the sacrifices in my own studies, and I've been looking closely, especially at the sacrifices made when a leper was declared healed of his or her leprosy. Now Leviticus 13 and 14 are pretty hard sledding on their own. If you're just reading through the Bible, and you hit Leviticus 13 and 14, some of it's just long, and some of it's pretty gross, right, (laughs) when you're looking at what uh, leprosy is. Uh, But if you take some time to focus on some specific parts of these chapters, the foreshadowing of the gospel is obvious and it's powerful. Regeneration is pictured in the sacrifices related to leprosy. So what we have in the gospel is foreshadowed there, it's there. And it's so obviously there that when you see it, you're probably going to go, why didn't I see that before? It's really remarkable. It was to me. And so I'm looking forward to, to sharing this all with you. Um, and so they, they do this. The sacrifices and the cleansing rituals related to leprosy foreshadow the gospel, point to regeneration in three ways. Now, Before we get into that, I kind of have to do a little bit of housekeeping on the issue of leprosy. The big discussion that comes up is what disease is this? Because it seems somewhat different from what we call leprosy today. So Bible scholars have had a field day discussing all the possibilities of what it might be. Some of them think it was psoriasis. Some of them think it was some form of eczema, right? Um, It's definitely a bit more serious than that. Uh, those that recognize that will think about, well, maybe it's elephant, I'm not sure how you say this, elephantiasis. If you've ever seen the movie Elephant Man, right? That's the, that's the idea there, that they, they're trying to look to something more serious. But R.K. Harrison, a Bible scholar on the Old Testament, has written a couple of articles in Bible dictionaries, and he makes a really good case paralleling it with what modern-day Hansen's disease is. And it's a devastating thing, Hansen's disease. I don't really want to get lost too much in the weeds here on what leprosy is. I just want to mention that I'm aware of those facts, that this might be something that's a little bit different. And as we know, diseases do change, right, as resistance grows. We've learned a little something about that in recent months or recent years. And so, um, nevertheless, uh, leprosy is a picture of sin. It's a picture in the scripture of sin. Not everyone who had leprosy 
had it because of some specific sin. There are specific causes for this thing. It appears to be some biological factors that go into this. Yet God did judge some specific individuals with leprosy in different times. But that doesn't mean that all leprosy was connected to a specific sin. However, it is a picture of sin. And the cleansing is a picture of what we have in regeneration with Christ. And it's a beautiful picture. The leprosy picture of our sin is disturbing for us to see our sin for what it really is. But the sacrifice is remarkable and how clearly it points forward to Jesus. And I hope you're encouraged. I, think, I hope on one hand that you're bothered by your own sin, no matter whether you're a believer or not, that you're bothered by your own sin. But I hope by the end of this that you're also extremely thankful that we have a Savior, that we have a high priest in Christ. And so there are three ways that this all works together to point forward to regeneration. The first one is humanity is spiritually dead. That's, the, that's a big thing to realize here about leprosy and how the lepers themselves, once they were diagnosed with it, how they were to act after it had been clearly identified in Leviticus 13, after they've gone to the priest and it's been clearly identified, how they react to that and what God commands them to do with that is exactly parallel to how people acted when they were going to a funeral. It's exactly parallel. So go to Leviticus 13, 45 and 46. And verse 45, it says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now all of this in 45 and 46 is exactly parallel to what you would do when someone died in Jewish culture. All of it is exactly parallel. So let's take a look at what we mean. What are the parallels? Well, he's mourning his own death. Really, that's what's happening here. The leper is acting as if he is a dead man. Is what God commands him to do. The word for disease in the ESV is translated in the King James plague. Plague. The word in the Hebrew is talking about someone who's been touched by God or stricken, smacked by God. So, again, never any specific sin is referred to in every case with leprosy, but the recognition that this was under the direct control of God is very much a part of that word plague or disease. God is the one who's in control of it even if it's not directly connected to a sin. And so they recognize the sovereignty of God even in the term. He's been touched by God. This is under the control of God. Let me remind you about death. There's coming a day when God will touch you. And you don't know when. 
there's coming a day, Hebrews 9.27 says, it is appointed. It's a day that's appointed that you don't know. Your appointment might be today. He doesn't tell us. You don't get one of those text messages like you get from your doctor. Hey, don't forget, your appointment is today, right? Or next week or whatever. He's just going to do it. He knows when that day is. So be aware of that regarding your death. So what are the parallels? Well, in verse 45, the first part is torn clothing. If you, Leviticus chapter 10, verse 6, in the instance of Nadab and Abihu, after they're judged by God and they die, there's references to some of this. Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, do not let the hair of your head hang loose and do not tear your clothes, lest you die. And wrath come upon all the congregation, but let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, beware the burning that the Lord, beware the burning that the Lord has kindled. He says, don't mourn for them even though they've died. So he says, don't tear your clothes. And the second thing he says is don't let your hair hang loose. And that's mentioned there in verse 45. Let the hair of his head hang loose. The leper was to tear his clothes like, a, like he's mourning for a dead person. He's to let his hair hang down, not put it up in a turban or something like that. And he's just let it hang down. Let people know that you are mourning your own death. So in Leviticus 10, 6, we read it there. Do not let the hair of your head hang loose and do not tear your clothes. And then in the next part of verse 45, it says there, let the hair, uh, no, he shall cover his upper lip. Cover his upper lip. Ezekiel 24, verse 17, talks about this practice in mourning, where it says, Sigh, but not aloud. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind on your turban and put your shoes on your feet. Do not cover your lips, nor eat the bread of men. He said, don't, don't do that. That's what something they would do is kind of cover their mouth in mourning. You got torn clothes. You got their hair hanging down. And they're just covered, they're mourning. Their, their, their whole attitude is of mourning. And then in Jewish mourning, crying out loudly is part of their practice, not only there, but also throughout the Middle East. Whenever you got someone who dies, the Jewish people would actually hire mourners to come and stand outside the house of mourning and loudly lift their voices and wail. And they had professional mourners that you would pay to come do this. Now, you're supposed to do it too, but if you had more money, you want to show how important you are in the community, you pay some mourners to come help you out, right? Stupid, but, you know, we have social media. They had that. So he cries out loudly, and in Lamentations chapter 4, you see an example of this. Lamentations 4, 14, and 15. They wandered blind through the streets, they were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Away, unclean, people cried at them. Away, away, do not touch. So they became fugitives and wanderers, people said among the nations. They shall stay with us no longer. So all of these parallels are parallel to mourning. So Mole says, in offerings made like unto the Son of God, he says, the leper then is to be a man mourning in his own funeral and polluted by contact with his own corpse. He is a living picture of death. S.H. Kellogg in his commentary on Leviticus says the leper is to assume all of the ordinary signs of mourning for the dead. 
He is to regard himself and all others are to regard him as a dead man. McClintock and Strong and the Encyclopedia of Religious Knowledge say the Jews regarded leprosy as a living death. When I talk about zombies and all the stuff that's popular in our culture, this is really how they regarded themselves and others were to regard them this way. As lepers, they were separate from the rest of the covenant community. They couldn't even be with them and had to be outside of the covenant community. So what is this pointing to? Like it or don't, Disney movies or not, right? The fact is that we are spiritually dead before we come to faith in Christ. We are dead men walking. Leprosy is an incredible picture of the state of a person outside of Christ. No matter if you are outside of Christ and you have, the, you have your own thoughts about yourself, you have ideas about who you are. Let me just tell you, whatever those ideas are, they're not accurate. They're not. This is what you are. You're rotting. You're a corpse. You're a dead man. You have nothing. You say, oh, but look, I'm alive. I've got my health. I've got my strength. I've got money. I've got all, look at all the stuff that I've got. Yeah, well, the kings of Egypt had a lot of stuff too and they got buried with it. They died. They got touched by God eventually. You'll be touched by him too. And all those things won't matter. What you are is the issue. The issue of the heart is the heart of the issue. What you are is what needs to be dealt with. A leper didn't really even need a doctor because you know what? There was no cure. No cure. He didn't need a doctor. He needed a miracle. The leper needed a, a, a resurrection in every case. In every case, it had to be a, a miracle. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once, in which you once walked. This is speaking to the Christian You were there. Don't forget this when you have a tendency to get self-righteous. When you look at the state of our culture and all the people and the wickedness that you see out there, listen, that was you before you came to faith in Christ. You once walked that way. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Are you living that way now? Christian, are you going back? Are you going back? Or can you really say with Paul, we once lived that way, but we don't now. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind that were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Let me just remind you what the Scripture says about unregenerate man. First, you're born in sin. You're born in sin. Homosexuals say, I was born this way. Yes, I don't have a problem with that because you're born a sinner. And that's why you're rebelling this way. It's not that it's natural. It's that you're sinful. Born in sin, Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. That's reality. But you can't stop right there and say, well, it's Adam's fault. You can't just go, well, you know, yeah, I'm a sinner, 
People do this all the time here in the Bible Belt. Oh, yeah, I know I'm a sinner because Adam sinned. (laughs) That's not where it stopped. Because you're also guilty of actual sin. It's not just that inherited sin. It's what you do. You prove that you have the original sin by the way that you live your life. And so it says that throughout Exodus chapter 20, we've got the Ten Commandments. And the commandments point out the reality of that sin. You lie. You steal. You look with lust and commit adultery in your heart. You take God's name in vain. You dishonor your parents. You break the Sabbath. You covet. You do all those things. You worship other gods. All of these things stand as witnesses against you. As Spurgeon said, they are ten cannons pointed at you meant to obliterate your self-righteousness so that you, react, you wake up out of the, the stupor that you're in to stop believing all those things that you think about yourself and to face the reality that you're, that you're sick. And you're not just sick, you're dead. You need a resurrection. I need a resurrection. So how do they find out about, well, let me, let me not go too far ahead of myself. Kellogg points this out about sin. Leprosy points all of this out. It's a parallel. Sin, like leprosy, is loathsome. Nobody wanted to be around the leper. It had, secondly, an insignificant beginning. It was very small. If you read Leviticus 13, I'm not going to take all the time to do all that. We'll come back in a minute. But the thing is, is that it starts very small. And then it starts to grow and to spread, right? So it has a very small beginning. Beware of that, by the way, with sin. A lot of times people end up leaving, they apostatize completely from Christianity, but it started with something very small. So it starts small with an insignificant beginning. It's progressive and it's thorough. It's incurable, right? And it shuts us out from fellowship. So leprosy is a very good picture of what sin does. So how do we know how we really stand before God? Because we can fool ourselves, right? The heart is so wicked, we can even trick ourselves into believing that we don't even have it. Did you ever have something, you were sick with something, and you kept denying it? I don't think, I'll be okay, right? And then you go to the doctor, and the doctor is like, you bonehead, how come you didn't come in here earlier? Raise your hand. Confession's good. My hand's up. Confession's good for the soul, all right? All y'all liars. I'm the only one. (laughs) But here's the thing. When I was like, Kim probably, she's not even here. But in my early 20s, in the first ministry we were in, I got really sick. And I, young and stupid. So I'm just going ahead. I'm like, I'll be okay. Taking some aspirins and stuff like this. I got these pains in my lower back that were so intense that I'd be up at 2 in the morning, take a piping hot shower with that water hitting my lower back right there. You know what I had? A kidney infection. That'll kill you. And so I wouldn't go to the doctor, taking these piping hot showers several times a day just to get through the pain. I'm going to work, right? And then I, like, I have a doctor's appointment. I finally break down. I'm like, I have a doctor's appointment, 
but I'm feeling a little bit better. So I go to church that Sunday to teach. I'm like, yeah, I feel better. I go to the doctor's appointment. I'm like, I'm feeling pretty good. I feel weird even coming here. He's like, your temperature is 107. 107. Are you feeling better? You should be dead. I'm just confessing. (laughs) So that's how stupid we can be. So like you could know Leviticus 13 and see the signs, right? But how do you find out for sure? You go to the priest, right? And the priest looks at your skin and he examines you and he tells you, you got leprosy. Maybe something really small, insignificant, but he says, that's leprosy. Your life changes. Your life changes. Present yourself... If you're not sure where you stand before God, I'm telling you, present yourself to our great high priest. Present yourself to Christ. He is our high priest. Don't take your own assessment for where you are spiritually. Go to him. Go to Christ. Examine yourself, but you do that by going to him. Even when you go to 1 John and you read through it, that's his verdict on your life. The book of James, that's him assessing you by the power of the word of God. Self-examination is worth it. It's worth it. If you're not what you think you are and the high priest says to you you're not, take his word for it and repent. Take his word for it and repent. Because sin separates from the fellowship and the covenant, Eventually, they've got, to go, they've got to go out if they have it immediately. Oh, by the way, this is just a side note. See, this is how it works in the Bible. When you've got a pandemic, you know, you don't quarantine the entire culture. You quarantine the people that are sick. I know it's radical, but keep that in mind against future events, okay? That the Scripture does deal with this, how you deal with it. You quarantine people that are sick, not the whole culture. Not the whole city moved outside the camp, right? Just the people that were sick. Side note, now we'll get back to this. Sin separates from fellowship and the covenant. Revelation chapter 21, verse 27, it's this way at the end. Nothing unclean will enter, ever enter it, the holy city, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation twenty two fifteen. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Sin separates from fellowship in the covenant. Listen, you can come to church and it happens. You can come to church and you say, look, I am part of the covenant. Here I am. You know that I am. I'm, I'm a Christian because I'm here in church on Sunday. And you can come And technically, you are physically here, right? You're here. If we were doing attendance, you would be checked off the list here. But you can be here, right? But not really be here. You can be here, but your heart is somewhere else. And you're thinking, when can I get out of here? When is this bozo going to stop talking about leprosy? What the heck is that? I I want to get out of here. And go do my thing for the rest of the day. You can be here and not be here. You see what I'm saying? 
your heart can be pursuing sin in some of these early stages of leprosy, right? Just small, insignificant beginnings. But you're not really here. You don't love to hear the word. You don't love to sing. You don't love to be with the people of God. And you know what? The thing is, nobody's sitting there judging you. Nobody's sitting there going, man, that person or this other person, what, what a jerk. Why are they here? We know they're not really here. Nobody's even doing that. But in your heart, you feel it. In your heart, you know, I'm not really here. I don't have the same joy. I don't have the same love for Christ. What are you going to do with that? I mean, I can't even know that. Your elders, your deacons, your Sunday school, they can't know what's going on in your heart. What are you going to do with that? If that's the Spirit of God revealing something to you, it is not wise to harden your heart in that and start blaming everybody else for how you feel. You feel that way because you are under conviction. And if you are under conviction, it's wise to listen to the warning. To cry out to God, to get alone with Him. And say, oh God, show me what I really am. My high priest, show me what's really happening in my life. That would be better than to harden your own heart. Keep following that little sin as it spreads thoroughly and takes over everything. And eventually your name is being read in a communion service because you've abandoned the faith and you won't return any phone calls. That is how it's happened. Time after time after time after time. So deal with sin quickly. Quickly deal with it. Andrew Bonar in his commentary on Leviticus says, Observe the first appearances of evil in your soul. Detect the leprosy by what you see in your heart's desire, if not in your words and acts. Even be aware of what you want. Because what you want can lead you astray. So what, what do we get from this? We're dead men walking. What do you need? You need mercy. You need God to show you mercy. And when you look at the New Testament and you see how lepers dealt with Jesus, you see this as the basis of their appeal. It's always mercy. Seek his mercy. You see an example in Luke 17, 12 and 13. As he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. They were used to lifting up their voices, unclean, unclean. They lifted up their voices now to say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Seek his mercy. Ask specifically for mercy. Understand, feel the weight of your sin. Feel it. Be aware of it. Snap out of it. Wake up and feel the weight of it. How it's condemning you and dragging you to hell. Feel that and then get urgent about that. Urgent. You say, what do I do, pastor? What do I do if I feel this? Cry out for mercy and keep crying until you get it. Don't stop crying until he hears you. 
That's what these lepers did. You can bet there was a crowd around Jesus. You can bet there was a lot going on. But they lifted their voices and probably repeatedly until he heard and he had mercy on them. Asked specifically, Luke 5, 12-14, while Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, if you will, you can make me clean. What a statement. There's no cure. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Touched him. He'd been touched before. Jesus touches him now, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. This man knew he was full of leprosy. It was a hopeless situation. He felt the weight of it, and he fell on his face, and he begged him. He knew that he was the only one. He knew he was the only one who could deliver him. Have mercy. If you will, you can make me clean. That's how you have to go if you're not right with God. Feel the weight of it. Fall on your face before him. Feel the weight and the guilt of your sin and cry out to him and say, Lord, if you will, you can heal me of all this. You can save me. You can give me life. But you're the only one. No other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Ask specifically for mercy. Stop praying for God to bless all of your good ideas and start praying for mercy. And that brings us back to Leviticus 14. You need a mediator. You need a mediator. We've already referred to some of this, but let's look at 14, 1 through about 11. You could read a lot of this, but I think the first 11 verses will give you the idea. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest. And the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then if the case of leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live, clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sp- sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. This right here in verse 7, right to verse 7, is the sacrifice that's offered once he's identified as having been cleansed. But there's still more that goes on. Verse 8 refers to it. He was to be cleansed, shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and bathe himself in water, and he shall be clean. And after that, he may come into the camp, but live outside his tent for seven days. On the seventh day, he shall shave off all his hair from his head, his beard, and his eyebrows, 
He shall shave off all his hair, and then he shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. He shall be clean. And on the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish and one ewe lamb, a year old, without blemish, and a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah, a fine flour mixed with oil and one log of oil. And the priest who cleanses him shall set the man who is to be cleansed in these things before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the text goes on at length to talk about the process of being brought back into the community. But I want to focus on the first seven verses in Leviticus 14, but specifically the sacrifice there that's laid out. Um, it is in verse uh, 4, the elements of the sacrifice. You've got these two live clean birds, a cedarwood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop. Now the blood and the water that are referred to there refer directly to Jesus. The blood and water is a reference to him. You say, where do you get that from? Well, if you remember from John chapter 19, when Jesus is crucified, and the Roman soldier plunges the spear into his side, what came out? Blood and water, right? That's on one hand. And on the other hand, 1 John chapter 5, verse 6 says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. So the sacrifice is very clearly, because the references to water and blood, is very clearly pointing forward to Jesus. But then when you look at all the sacrifices that are involved here, you are very clearly looking forward to Jesus. But I want to focus, we'll focus specifically on the birds in just a minute. Now the hyssop also points directly to the cross. The hyssop does as well because uh, in John chapter 19, verse 29, uh, there's hyssop involved at the cross where Jesus is thirsty and there's that sponge with the vinegar. It's placed on a stalk of hyssop and then raised up so Jesus could have a drink, right? That was the attempt anyway in John 19, verse 34. So hyssop is also mentioned at the cross. Oh, and by the way, you have a reference to cedar wood here. Jesus died on a cross made out of wood. So all this, in a way, is pointing forward to Christ. Hyssop by itself is a complicated thing that I won't get into. Like some Bible scholars have identified 18 different plants that hyssop might be. We're not going to go there. don't have time for that, right? But it points to the cross. Now the two birds are, to me, what really point to Christ in a powerful way. Because you've got one bird that's sacrificed and its blood is sprinkled on the person who's being declared clean. But you have another bird that, that uh, flies away. So you've got two birds. One dies, one goes free. What's that pointing to? Well, the death one's easy, right? Blood's being shed, sprinkled on the leper. This is pointing to Christ's death. What does the bird flying away point to, I wonder? That bird is still alive. That's pointing to the resurrection. Death and life, side by side with each other. What is, what is it pointing forward to? It's pointing forward to the resurrection in verses 5 through 7. It says, uh, verse 5, The priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop, uh, by the way, scarlet yarn, it's red yarn, right? Points to blood in, in, the sense, in the sense of its color. Bible scholars have often said that the, the message of the gospel is like a scarlet thread of redemption that runs through the entire word of God, right? And so there's a scarlet yarn there, 
and the hyssop and dipped them in the live bird and the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. Even the live bird uh, is dipped here. So even that, the live bird still has got the marks of the sacrifice on himself. After Jesus rose again from the dead, what did he say to his disciples? Put your hands here in my side and see. This is me. He had the marks of his sacrifice still on him. This is all pointing forward to Christ. And then the ensuing uh, ceremonies, the sprinkling of blood, the ensuing ceremonies, reinstates the leper to God and the community. He can come back in to the community. He can come in with confidence that he is part of the community. The sacrifices have been made. Even the sacrifices I'm not referring to further on in Leviticus 14 all reinstate him to the community. He's got renewed fellowship. If you are, as a Christian even, dealing with sin, you feel the weight of that broken fellowship. Go back to the gospel. Not that you need to get saved again. I'm not saying that. But go back to Christ. Confess your sins to him. You have a mediator. One mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Go to that mediator. Confess your sin before him. Repent. And then when you come back to church, you won't feel that I'm here, but I'm not here thing. You'll be like, I'm here, and man, I'm glad to be here because I've been forgiven much. By the way, that's everybody in the room. Every one of us has been forgiven much. There's nobody in here judging the heck out of you, right? Because we know that we're all sinners, W.M. Thompson, in his book, The Land and the Book, he was over in uh, Jerusalem area, like around 1835, and he saw all these lepers. And he got thinking about lepers. He wrote like 10 pages on it in his book. But he sums it up like this. There is nothing in the range of human phenomena which illustrates so impressively the divine power of the Redeemer and the nature and extent of his work of mercy on, my, on man's behalf as this leprosy. Believer, your response to this ought to be worship. It ought to be worship and gratitude, right? We had a memory verse a while back. I'll try to do it. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive grace, or receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The answer is to draw near, not to isolate yourself. When your heart is being hardened in your sin, remember that you have a high priest. And he's been tempted every way that you and I can be tempted, and he never sinned. Go to that, run to that high priest. Run to him. Draw near to get what? Mercy. Mercy. Isn't that what you need? Isn't that what we saw in Luke with the lepers? They cried out for mercy. Go to him. 
for mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Unbeliever, ask the great high priest what his verdict is. It doesn't matter what your parents think about your salvation. They're not going to sit in judgment on you when you stand before God. It doesn't even matter what I think. The elders here, the deacons, your Sunday school teacher, your friends, it doesn't matter what any of them think. Go to the great high priest and ask him, what's the verdict? Am I clean or unclean? Are you stained with the leprosy of sin? Cry out to him for mercy. He can raise you from the dead. He can give you life. And he can cleanse you with his own blood, not the blood of some animal sacrifice. You can have new life, and you could fly away and be free. You could be free. Come to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that that would be reality. Not just words, it would be reality for somebody here today. Whether they are a believer who's here but not here. Lord, I pray that they would go quickly to the great high priest. That they would find mercy and grace to help in time of need. There's no one who is above having need. There's no one who's walked with you so long that they don't have a need for repentance and a need to be evaluated by the priest. Lord Jesus, you are our great high priest. Evaluate us. We pray for those that are lost. We pray that they would go to the priest to be examined. That they would let him examine, just open themselves up and not fight it at all. This is the most important thing that they face. They could be touched any time, any day. I pray that they would face the facts regarding where they are with you. And Lord, that you would be gracious, that you would give them life, that you would heal them. If you will, you can make them clean. Lord, we beg you, we plead with you, Lord, that you would save somebody for your glory, for your own glory, and for their good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.